And in a very, very special Blunders takeover, I am standing here next to the one and only Grandmaster Robert Hess. Robert? Feels good to be standing and not sitting for a change. Feels good to be standing, not sitting for a change. And James Montemagno, my normal partner in crime. Um, don't even know if you really know who James is. I've never really told you. No, I, know, but... I know you don't listen to the podcast. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, but uh, this is this may be a good start to getting into more chess podcasts. I've been wanting to do it because, you know, James and I, normally this podcast is reserved for life, love, and craziness. Okay. Um, and we do talk a lot of chess. Because he's actually become a big fan of yours, actually, and chess in general. We all make mistakes. We all make mistakes, right? But um, because he's gone traveling uh, with his with his lovely lady this week, you you have the unfortunate mispleasure misfortune of joining me on this podcast. Montemagnus, you Mont- said. Montemagnus. Oh, that's a great. That's in fact he actually misspoke one podcast and called Magnus Carl Magnuson, and so we've been calling him our buddy Carl ever since. Okay, um, I approve. But we're going to, I feel like this week, the best thing for us to do, given that you and I just finished commentary, we are recording this at about 3 p.m. local time here. Um, The World Chess Championship has been decided. Magnus Carlsen has defended his title successfully, albeit in rapid. You and I have just finished three very long and grueling weeks. And I thought the best thing we could do, like, okay, I'm not going to say it's the unedited, like, explicit version. We don't have to curse or anything. Yeah. But I feel like this might be a cool opportunity for you and I to spend a final 20 minutes before we completely let this match go and just do the thing you and I normally do, like, at lunch and just alone when no one else is around and just kind of give our, like, off-the-record really kind of interesting insight in terms of how we think about about what's happened here and what the players might be thinking and obviously they don't listen to our podcast anyway so we can say whatever we want well they don't watch our shows either <laughs> they're busy playing they're busy playing <laughs> anyway but i'm going to turn over to you so grandmaster robert has the people want to know like you've got we've got all this everything behind us now hindsight give me your couple minutes on what you just feel like is your final takeaways of what just happened here yeah, it's uh, really a lot to take in here because, as you said, we've been doing this for 12 classical games over the course of three weeks, and then today was the rapid finale. And it was sort of, you know, predetermined in a sense that if we got to the rapids, Magnus Carlsen would be the heavy favorite, and I think he surprised almost no one, maybe by how dominant he yeah. was. That he, was surprised. he surprised me by how dominant he was. He was not surprising at all, but you're right. I mean... Uh, yeah, sorry, you go ahead. Yeah, yeah no, my, it's, my mind is blowing. <laughs> you know, it's just that he was the huge favorite once he got to the rapid stage. I think everyone was very disappointed that there were 12 draws, no decisive games in regulation in classical chess for the first time in world championship history. Right, that's never happened before. Never, never in a row. Right, I think there've been more than twelve draws in matches. It's, I'm right? not talking so, about the number of draws in no decisive games in classical. No decisive games yeah. in a class. Yes, right. Yeah, and that's sort of a shame in a sense, especially for a society that loves winners. Right, right. we just we split the. We, point. we also what? love train wrecks in this society, right? <laughs> <laughs> but we don't have to get into that, right? I mean, you know, this is our first like train wreck of a president reference. Sorry, we'll continue. <laughs> I wasn't going there, but we I'll let you say. No, no, but our our society, do, we do we do like to celebrate our champions. We'll say that, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, maybe sometimes that comes with not a celebration, but it's like when a, they say the car wreck happens and it's hard to look away. Yeah. In order to, for somebody to win, somebody has to lose. Right. But what's interesting to me, some of the feedback, especially from the American fan bases. People who love baseball, they love those extra innings, you know, 1-1, one, one, 
tie until the 14th inning, and then all of a sudden the game changes. Isn't that what this was? Right? right? Wasn't this a just a very even match from start to finish? If you think about each game as an inning, right? It went, went to extra innings. It right? went to extra innings, and all of a sudden, on one swing of the bat, the game is over. Right. And so it's a, it's a great. I haven't thought about it that way, but yeah. Yeah, I just was looking at Twitter before. Maybe that's just a recipe for disaster. First of all, that's a bad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> again, like a lot of people spend time on Twitter. But so, I, I think you know my overall impressions. Right. Magnus Carlson was extremely impressive in pretty neutral positions. Mm-hmm. Both players were out of theory, with the humongous exception of Game Six in that mm-hmm. Petrov when. He was sort of dilly-dallying, and then Fabiano very impressively outplayed him. Was, well, it may be the one position that he smartly only went back to again when he basically had enough theory to force a draw in case it went wrong, because it yeah. was almost the one type of position where maybe Fabiano could outplay him from start to finish and on equal footing, in yeah. hindsight, right, based but, on what we saw. Yeah, and then that Sicilian when he went from 95, that was the first time where the preparation really was okay on point, uh, on point from the white side, because black Fabiano was equalizing most games quite easily. Right. And it's just sort of the nature of chess these days, right? Instead of fighting with both colors, it's win with white, draw with black. That's the mantra. And it became sort of disappointing to me at a certain level where I'm just like, I'm just expecting black to equalize, and then we're going to call mm-hmm. it a day. Mm-hmm. And that's just... Well, it, it, su- it sucks, and like, and I think that's where we kind of pivot into, obviously this is going to be a chess-centric podcast, of course, because that's you and I have been living in this world here for a while, and we're a couple of titled chess players. Me, no one knows how I got my title of international master. We know you're a very strong chess player. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. And I and I think so, for those of you who are really subscribing to mine and James' podcast for other things besides chess, just forgive us and bear with us. But the... Um, it makes... I hate to say it because I feel like a broken record, but it comes back to me considering just how difficult it is. It makes me feel like we did such a good job of making this thing really exciting in <laughs> hindsight. Because, I mean, seriously, right? This is We were covering one game. It's yeah, not even it's like a classical tournament where, yes, maybe some of the games will be boring that particular round. So you just go to different But you one. go to the other game, yep. right? If if uh, if you're covering any tournament where there's dozens of games going, you switch around. Even even in a lead event where all these guys play, like Fabiano and Carlson and Nakamura and Aronian, even there, usually we have at least one game per round that's something, usually, right? Yeah, and there's also one game per round that's done in like right. an hour and a half. But, but, and so it was just super difficult for us to have the hindsight, which is like, look, you know, maybe we do need fast time controls to put the best players in the world in a position to make mistakes because they are so good, right? I think I was about to say that is we have to show appreciation for just how good they are. Right. And when we see players of our caliber making tons of mistakes, which leads to more decisive games. But when you see Fabiano Caruana and Magnus Carlsen, the top two players in the world, go at it, very few inaccuracies, which was also backed up by some of the chess.com statistics that yep. we were, you know, we were doing in the background. So incredibly accurate performance of both players leads to more equality right. in terms of the result. So what does this mean for the world of chess? Is I think people are going to want to know this. Is what James would say, he would ask, is this good for chess that our buddy Carl is still the world champion? So your thoughts. I love how you called him our buddy Carl. Our buddy Carl. I think... Yes, that doesn't mean that Fabiano Corona would not be a great world champion, but what Magnus has done is he's really made himself not just a chess celebrity, but a mainstream celebrity. He's been on The Simpsons. He's been in that Porsche commercial with um, Muhammad Ali and Maria Sharapova. He's 
talked at the Milken Institute, where mm-hmm. you were there as well. So he's, 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 he's the Bill worn, Gates. He's worn really tight skinny jeans. <laughs> for G-Star and, Raw. And for G-Star Raw, right? Really tight skinny he, jeans. That's apparently celebrity status these he days. He went viral with Bill Gates by just right. crushing him in that very quick game where he had no time in the right, right. So he's made it past to, oh, I'm a chess player. Of course, I love Magnus Carlsen. To, hey, Robert, uh, I know I don't follow chess at all, but do you see that cool video that's trending on YouTube? Right. He kind of transitioned into a mainstream celebrity where he's friends with Clay Thompson and goes to Golden State Warriors games. And Fabiano Caruana, maybe just he hasn't had the privilege to be there yet because he has not been world champion. And I think he would be a fantastic world champion. He's so humble. His demeanor is excellent. Even in defeat, he spoke eloquently and was gracious. And he was thanking his team of seconds and saying Magnus is just a boss on the chess He's just board. a genius, yeah. But there is something about Magnus. He's a great ambassador Ma- for the Magnus is magnetic, and I'm not even trying to do the obvious yeah. claim. No, but it, it, I, I agree, and I think that this is the, you know, now that it's over, we can maybe let our true colors show a little bit. Not that we don't. I think you and I, you know, bring our, our feelings and, and at the same time do our job as commentators to remain unbiased and professional. But the truth is... You know, even as Americans, yeah. as people that I think we're supposed to, you know, if you think about it from that perspective, and and, I, and Fabiano is your childhood friend, yeah. right? And I also know both these guys decently well and, and, and root for both. But the, as I think about it, the truth is, like, Magnus's personality and his presence is magnetic. And when I think about it as what does the chess world need, I think the chess world, the word world is the key word now. The, the world is truly global, right? Mm-hmm. We have... The internet. Apparently, it's here to stay, yep. right? It's uh, the technology that is accessible at people's fingertips changes, I think, what was classical perception, which is that you needed somebody from the world powerhouse nations, right? Nor- Norway is is a, is a is a a, typical, a a wealthy nation. It's also a, a very happy nation by how people, I don't know how they measure those things, but it's not a world power, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. Because the fact is, like, if the biggest stars in the world come from, you know, Zimbabwe, we can now reach them and see them and know who they are. And, and, and if they happen to also have magnetic personalities like Usain Bolt, Jamaica, right? Mm-hmm. We, we know how to celebrate our favorite stars in any sport, in any genre. And it doesn't matter that they're from America or Russia or whatever, right? And I know I'm not trying to make it too big picture philosophical, but, but I think it's very important because a lot of the comparisons made in this match to Carwana, from Carwana Carlson to Fisher Spassky, mm-hmm. right? And, and that was sort of the very popular storyline, how much Fabiano needed to do this for America, and it's what needs to happen in, Ameri- in America for chess to go to the next step. I feel like chess is going to the next step. Chess yeah. is already going there. I mean, we see it in in our in 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 the numbers that we're we're so fortunate to pull in. It's been amazing, right? And it's like, and I'm not saying it would have been great. And I agree with you. Not that Fabiano wouldn't have been a great world champion, but I don't know that the game needs an American world champion to be as um, successful as it's going to be. I completely agree. And, and I think that that's because we live. I mean, the truth is, if it wasn't for technology. Magnus Carlsen wouldn't be world champion because, again, like these guys are coming from out of nowhere if you consider that, you know, people who were being raised as chess brutes in the Soviet Union when the culture was rich was not that big of a surprise, right? right. I mean, Kasparov, it doesn't get any away from them, but Kasparov, you know, uh, the boy from Baku, right? And he, he was basically recruited to go to the Bodvinik School of Chess under the former Soviet states, right? And and he and it was it, it wasn't as surprising to see world champions come out of the culture the chess rich culture. 
Now, just the fact that we have Magnus Carlsen, the fact that the game is as global as it is, we have raised superpowers coming out of India and China. Now, the truth is, I think our next world champion, there's a very good chance you could argue our next world champion may be from India or China. Um, I mean, maybe. And that's all thanks to Vishya. Vishya Nand, right? And, and, um, so I'm with you. And and I think, again, it doesn't take anything away from, I, I think if you asked me, if you put me up against the wall and put a gun to my head and you asked me, Danny, don't give us the politically correct answer. Where were your emotions lining? And and sometimes you don't even learn where your emotions are until it happens. Like I admitted that with Daryl Morey on our show that I found myself in the post Suns getting dominated by the Spurs era (laughs) before the Rockets came along. Yep. Even though you threw me under the bus. Yep. That I was like, I was secretly, I had this like emotional pull for the Spurs over the Heat in the finals. Like I didn't like the LeBron switch. And like as much as I would hate to acknowledge that to myself, the team that ruined Steve Nash's dreams, I kind of like want, I kind of respected them and emotionally wanted them to win. But hold on, let me finish my point. I know you're about to jump in. So so if you ask me, where was I emotionally leaning? Like where did I find myself leaning? It probably was a little bit in Carwana's court based on what I wanted to see with some of the I, I don't know. Maybe I did have a little bit of that. I'd like to see an American world champion. Maybe that's all it was, you yeah. know. But in hindsight, now I have like I'm not upset at all. I, I've been lucky to be a part of both Magnus and Fabiano's lives in ways that I have. I think they're both amazing for the game. I, you know, I think we'll probably be doing events together in the future. And and it's awesome that we have a star like Magnus. So I don't think it's bad. And and there we are. So what were you gonna say? Yeah, I just think they're very different personalities, right? Yeah. Magnus is more GQ, and Fabiano is more New Yorker. And right. not that they can't have some overlap, but they just come off very differently, even in right. photos, even just how the media reports them, right? And that's not a problem. I think they both are very successful and have great personalities in their own right. And I think from that perspective, do we need an American to win? No, this is not Fisher Spassky. In fact, I was really annoyed by all these Fisher Spassky references. It was almost unfair to Fabiano, too, yeah. in a lot of ways, yeah. Because there's no geopolitical war going on between... Well, the there U.S. Might, there and might Norway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always possible. <laughs> Always possible. Uh, but the it's kind of the tenor of the match was much different. This yep. was actually a very a match of friends mm-hmm. rather than like these bitter rivals. A lot of mutual admiration, as much from Magnus as it was from Fabiano. Yeah. I think it's easy to say that all of Magnus's peers have looked up to him for the last decade. Many of them they just say that, you know, and they just say how much he's helped them get better, right? But I think. And Fabiano said, "I've been playing. I'm playing against maybe one of the greatest geniuses of all time in our game." That's what he said. But but even Magnus, I think Magnus had more potential respect. And then if there's a little bit of fear that comes with that, that's natural, like for Fabiano, than he has for any of the previous challengers. And he said that, right? Yeah. He said that Fabiano was his toughest world championship competitor, his challenger. And yeah, it, it proved to be true for the most part. Though I think. In the process, we've eliminated Sergey Karyakin, who was actually up a game. Who and he was actually closer to getting the title. I do feel bad for Sergey. Yeah, Poor Sergey. He gets the ba- a bad rap, and, and we all, you know, in the chess world say, oh, of course Mags was favorite. He just kind of got in his own head and started losing the thread. And There's all some truth to that, but yeah. And th- there is. But yeah. at the same time, we talk about how Fabiano made it to the rapid. Karyakin also made the rapid, was ahead in classical, and then and lost a closer match in, in the rap, but he only lost three one. Yes, yeah. with a with a I think he had a couple draws, a couple draws, and, and, and not great positions, but he still yeah. managed to score more. So right. it's interesting how we look at that. Maybe it is an American centric perspective, but I think the point that I want to come back to that you mentioned was look at the media, right? Ali Rader for five thirty eight was covering the match in New York when it was Karyakin versus Carlson. Yes, more media turns out when the American is playing. I think that we can't ignore that fact. But as we get more and more global, right, the world champion, 
when we when that keeps happening, people are attentive not to the fact just that there's an American. Yes, that's a storyline, there's history involved in that, but people just are attracted to chess as a game, attracted to the concept of this is the very best of a competition. Mm-hmm. So we have to give it And even our, though we don't think of it respect. this way, most of the world thinks of it as two of the smartest people on the planet, right. right? And not to say that Fabiano and Magnus aren't very smart people, but you and I having the experience we do and knowing that chess is also a very niche thing. It's a lot of pattern recognition that is specific to the game. And yep. and we've even said that sometimes our best friends are not chess players because chess players can be very one-dimensional, right? So I don't know that we would agree with the general perception that just because you're a genius chess player that you're a, the smartest human being on the planet. But they are also very smart. And, and I think I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. And I think no. that... I think from the most the world sees it, they look at people like that as those are intellectual giants. You know, those are people on the highest stage of one of the most difficult games to master. And that is, right, undeniable. And I, and I guess to play devil's advocate to our perspective, it was kind of cool. You and I went to uh, Chili's. We went to Chili's. <laughs> Shout out. This is a podcast un- unofficially sponsored by Chili's. <laughs> uh, we went to Chili's, and we did see, actually, for a second, I was like, Robert, look, look. And he looks up, and he's like, oh, bleep, right? He's like, and Fabiano was on one of the big flat screens at the bar, right? He'd been covered on this show called The Daily Blast Live or something. Something like that, yeah. We should, maybe I'll try to find a link for it for the show notes. James would be proud if I did. And that was cool. And that probably doesn't happen in, with a Russian challenger. But I also think that it could just also be a sign as the game is growing and the the attention that all of us are bringing to it, right? People are watching it, and that also may be why more media outlets pick it up. It doesn't necessarily have to be because, you know, the the best player on the planet is an American. And, um, yeah, when the eyeballs are there, the media responds, mm-hmm. right? And just on the Chess.com broadcast, today when there were almost 80,000 concurrent viewers, media can't ignore that. They can't just pretend right. it's not there. And I was watching the press conferences. There's someone from CBS, and... That's great, but as Mike Klein said, that's a chess.com great journalist, they're there for the first and the last games, but mm-hmm. in between there's nothing, right? We didn't see chess on ESPN every single day talking right. about this heavyweight which is battle, too bad. which is a shame. And so, You know where we saw it on Twitch. That's where we saw it. <laughs> we did see it a lot on Twitch, but I guess what I was going to say is despite all of this progress and all this you know, worldly attention, it sounded like it was there every day. It didn't catch and stick on in the same way that we would like to see it. And so for all this hoopla about having an American in the world championship, where were they throughout the process? Some, i got to give credit, some media covered it extremely well. And 538 keeps coming to mind. I thought Ali did a great job mm-hmm. there. But for most of it, it was like a story and a one-off. And now that it's done, it's done. It's over. Yeah, yeah, which is a shame. Well, and I wrote about that in the um, the column I do, the one thing I do every once in a while that reminds me to try to like use the written word and mm-hmm. not just my idiot spoken words. But I, I did write about that and I said like, hey, does Fabiano need to win? It wasn't necessarily to inspire an American revolution. I feel like that ended up being the angle that they took and that's fine. But I, it was, does Fabiano need to win for it not to be a one-off? Yeah. Right. And if he had won, would it would it, would that change that? And I don't know that it really matters again, I think because we've kind of come full circle on this. You know, it's an interesting dynamic because I think as the game becomes more global, um, it gets more attention from all media outlets. I mean, and I'm curious how many, how much of our viewership was American centric. Actually, that's something we can look into, and I think I will because I'm I'm curious about that. Like, given the because we have a lot of data that tells us about our speech chess championship, yep. you know, and our pro chess league. And, and this weekend we have the speech chess championship and only one of the final, oh, no, wait, two of the final four contestants are also American. That's that's actually true. But um, 
the overall six field of sixteen in the in the SEC is not American centric, no. you know. And and I'd be curious if we just did some. That's an interesting little just factoid. I should make a note for us because I'm curious what the audience was. You know, if it was a lot of people tuning in for the first time, or interest peaked because of that, or if it was just the global aspect of the the World Chess Championship title. I think they see that, and that's a sexy thing to click on, whatever. And then they see your face on camera, and they just go nuts. <laughs> that's um, when I leave. No, but um, anyway, that's an interesting question, and I think, you know, so in hindsight, what are, you know, as we let this one go, give some of our, what other things we dive into, you know, I think Hikaru was kind of critical of some of the, some of the work of the seconds, and, and I do want to come back to that again, not to belabor it, I wouldn't want to be going on and on about this on the show, but I do feel that just because Fabiano Caruana was playing in his first world championship match, um, he'll be the one that's remembered as maybe making mistakes, but all of his seconds were also kind of in their first world championship match as seconds, Except right? for Rustam. Except for Rustam, yeah. right? And I, and, but I, I wonder if, and again, I'm sure there's counter-arguments to it. Like, look, if you believe in the principles of a position and you believe in the opportunities and you believe in your guy, you keep going back to it. But also, for those of you who speak real chess X's and O's, we're talking about of course, Fabiano's decision not to go away from the Sicilian, not to not to try to find new holes in Magnus's preparation. And to Magnus's credit, he stuck with it. The reason we don't see that as a broken thing, it's well because he never lost with it. Yeah. And and then ultimately won the the backbreaker and tiebreaks because of it. And it's just I don't know. I mean, I would I would wonder what would have happened if if this match had a little bit more variety. But then the truth is, you know. If my dog was a cat, it would be a cat, right? <laughs> if if isn't if isn't a reality, right. and um, it, it's sort of easy for us to criticize after the fact in some ways. But though we were critical during the event, yeah, and we were honest there. I mean, I don't think we're but, we're not. It's just you know how how often do we go? We don't maybe talk about it like this on right. air, right? And but I, I was, what I was going to say is, when do we ever prepare for Magnus Carlson? I don't. Right? I if, don't make a living of preparing for Magnus if, Carlson. If we <laughs> had to do that, right? Prepare it's, somebody ourselves, right. whoever exactly. it is. No, that's a great how point. Do, he is sort of the beast of the, all the beasts, right? He is mm-hmm. kind of he's the king. And what he does better than all the beasts is is variety. Yeah. So and, you're right. And so you may they may have said, well, we can deviate and go to something else, but maybe that's actually a worse option for Fabiano. And that's the hard part. I think that unless we're in their shoes, and this sounds kind of cliche, but I really believe it. It's hard for us to be too critical. And I have one experience playing a world champion, a, a former world champion, when I played Vishyanath. And when I played him, I was like, I don't know what to do here, so let me just throw something out and hope it works. But that works in a one-off game, perhaps. But when you're playing a match where you have the same color six different times, maybe you just have to keep trying. And I, we, we talked about Gary uh, Kasparov against Vladimir Kromnik, how he played, for, again, this is a very chess-specific thing, but he played into the Berlin several times. It was a kind of bashing his head against the Berlin Wall until he lost the match. But... It's hard to, for me to sit and criticize, and, and you know we're both very strong players in our own right, and say, well, I don't know what I would have chosen differently. Mm-hmm. Right? I, 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 I'm here, I'm saying, I've chosen something else. But what that something is is a very big question, yep. and one that should not be dismissed either. No, it's a good point. Um, you know, and for those uh, slightly less chess-centric followers, um, you know, I think from the practical, psychological aspects of the match that I do think people find really interesting, when you have... Uh, when you when you can't you can't like break someone. I mean, what is 
at what point are you, you know, proving Einstein's definition of insanity? And at what point are you correct in being a person of principle, right? Yeah. I think I'm sure that there's a lot of, you know, variety to that. I mean, you know, they've even, you know, there, there's sports comparisons there where you've had like a NBA best of seven, right? Same thing where, you know, people, you know, were critical. I was critical of Mike D'Antoni last year. We're talking about the Rockets, right? And some of the different like isolation and, and things they went with when they weren't working as well or whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, so it's interesting, right? And then the coach's argument is like, look, like you, you believe in your personnel and it's your job to get the most out of your personnel and you make those decisions, right? And then it's easy for everyone else to kind of armchair quarterback, you know, the situation. And it kind of actually boils down to the breadth versus depth ar uh, argument that I've mentioned several times on air. Magnus Carl Carlson, excuse me, is renowned for his ability to just mix things up. He'll play anything, mm -hmm. and he'll play it well. Fabiano was sticking to the same exact weapon with the white pieces, and that forced Magnus, because he's like, well, I'm going to keep doing this until you actually beat me in this line, and I'm getting good positions. So Magnus, when he had white, was happy to play a different opening and, and he did. different games. And ultimately, I think it proved very successful. Oh, for sure. I think, I, I think that he... The thing we were happy with the way he started the tiebreak, and then hindsight, I realized we were kind of foreshadowing a good day for Magnus. Not that we didn't expect it, but I was, when he played that Botfinnick English, I was like, this guy knows what he's doing. And you could see the experience coming out immediately, especially because Carwana met it with a dubious line. Yeah. And and I was very, like, already very complimentary of the fact that, like, you're, the fact that he also poked and prodded, I think, helps him arrive at that decision a little bit in the, in the uh, rapid portion. Yeah, so, he, and he figured Fabiano out in the sense of what Fabiano's likes and dislikes were, and he got Fabiano into a position that anybody would be uncomfortable with because if Fabiano could have chosen a different course, but instead he opted for this sort of mm, passive and just cramped position that ultimately led to his first defeat. And so, and so let's, let's, let's bring our full cycle with this because I think that we already said this is very much our off the record, our kind of final summary of how we feel about it. So where does this put Magnus Carlsen in terms of how we, you know, view the all time greats? It's interesting because, you know, Gary Kasparov, considered by many people to be the GOAT, you know, this is the all time great, right? Um, the GOAT was critical of, of the current GOAT, right? When he on Twitter, and I'll try to have a link to that for everyone in the show notes, where he said, you know, um he, he was just he was critical of Magnus taking a draw on the last one going to tie breaks and and and, and to be fair um a lot of people felt that way. It was almost like we were all caught up in the heat of the moment. Yeah. But then in hindsight, and the more we talk, it's like, look, I was critical of Magnus for taking the draw because I I don't think it did well for for what I want the perception of our game to be, and and I don't like the rules there and all uh, whatever. You and I were right. both agreed on that. But I but I don't think either one of us agreed with Kaspar from the perspective like, look, like Magnus had a plan, he stuck to it, and guess what he just did? He just kicked some names and took some A mm -hmm. in in the rapid, right? Yep. And and um. And he's um he's a, he's a monster, you know. Um, I I now that he's got this much experience, and this is clearly the emotion of the moment happening. I have a hard time imagining anybody ever beating him in a match like this. Honestly, like he's just he's now. I I I said this before this match. I said that Karyakin did Carlson the greatest service ever by almost accidentally beating him, right? And again, <laughs> but again, a... we already said Sergey doesn't get a fair shake, but it's kind of true because he was such a huge underdog and he almost beat him. And I think he he kind of woke Magnus up in 2016 to like how, what's the recipe to lose a world championship match? Right. And that did Carlson a huge favor for this year. And I believe it may do, it may do Carlson huge favors down the road because it's so hard for me to see someone as good as him that has the variety in his style, his his ability to play so many things, 
ever losing a match. And certainly, I can't see the future two years from now, maybe whoever that next challenger is, whatever, right? But what do you think about that? Where does it put him in your eyes as far as being the GOAT? And how do you view what it would take to take this guy down? And I actually want to push back a little bit of Kasparov fans because they were saying, Gary would never do this. Now, if Gary played in a 12-game match in that first World Championship against Anatoly Karpov, he would have lost that match. He was only in it because it was the first of six wins. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, Karpov had the first five decisive games in that match. Yeah, he was Kasparov's back was up against the wall. And, then, and, and you could argue he was a maybe better Blitz and Rapid player than Karpov, so maybe he would have done this, <laughs> right? I mean, right. I don't think it's a, a fair comparison. But where do I put Magnus? I think longevity... St- for me, is very important. So I can't dismiss the fact that Gary was Gary for so long. He was dominant. He was crushing people tournament after tournament. That said, Magnus plays in the strongest era of all time. Right? We have all these different players over 2,800, four of them, including Magnus and Fabiano, along with Dingley Ren and Shakri Armamajarov. And, and, and 12 other guys that are still active that have at one point been above 20. I mean, all those guys have been above right. 2,800 at some point. So when people are like, oh, Gary was just crushing his field, well, his field was also weaker. And that's an insult to the field. That's actually just more so a compliment to the current competition. That it's not, I should rephrase it. It's just the current players, elite players, are stronger than they were back in the 80s, 90s, mm-hmm. and even early 2000s. Right? The level of players you know, is getting better I don't better disagree. And better. I agree. So where's that rank Magnus? I think I still need to wait a bit before I definitively say he's above Gary. I think his play is phenomenal. I'm in awe of his play. I would still easily put it in the top three and everyone says that's very easy i'll put him above fisher i mm-hmm. think not saying this is not a talent discussion because fisher didn't have access and to again you stock we fish, asked right? that as a daily question during our show because it's fun it leads to kind of fun twitter, so twitter fo- it's fun twitter fodder it get, that's what we want to do you know stimulate discussion but the truth is it's a time travel machine question that can't be answered yeah and i use this example you know like a f- high school physics teacher knows more about physics than Isaac Newton. Does that mean they're more talented at physics? Exactly. Absolutely not. Of course fact, not. They, but they but use... anybody that would argue that a high school physics teacher doesn't know more than Isaac Newton is simply a biased Paul Morphy worshiper, <laughs> right, as I call them. Like, they're just not living in reality. Right. And it's the simple matter of fact that people like Newton are Influence the reason why that this guy exists, right? And we just have, we can Google things at the tip of our fingers, things and principles that were not around in Newton's time are around today. So that all that being said... I think that Magnus, yes, is at his peak, has performed better than Fisher. That doesn't mean Fisher wasn't capable with some engine help, you know, to prepare and things Whatever, like that right, to get right. better. So I would have Magnus somewhere in the first one, two. I mean, right, I, I between can't. Him and Kasparov, between then. him and Kasparov. And I think you could argue the same thing that even if he's still not considered better than Kasparov yet because of Kasparov's tenure as the dominant that's, figure at top, really Magnus has maybe a f- three to five more years to go, I think, before we would say that. If he maintained number one in my eyes for another five years, I'd be ready to do that because it would mean at least another one, if not two, championship title defenses. Right, I think right now he's on pace that, and regardless of whether you consider him better than Gasparov, he's probably playing the highest level of chess yeah. that has ever been played in history. The only thing he's missing besides the longevity is splitting apart the governing body of chess, right? And, and then, know, and then dropping out for politics, and <laughs> then losing to a computer, and all. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. All right, well, you know this has been kind of fun. It's kind of therapeutic a little bit. Get to debrief yeah, a little bit. A lot Just off the chest. Here. Get a lot off the chest. You know. Um, well. I'm glad it's over. As yep. I tweeted, the text from my wife, you know, the, uh, you know, it's done. The Frodo has finally dropped the ring into Mordor. It's over. We're done. We did it. And uh, you and I need to go hit a hit a nice, uh, nice 
glass of scotch, my friend. So, Sounds absolutely you know, great. We usually me. talk about coffee on this, and we we have dabbled coffee, in, in so. some scotch, some scotch um, whilst recording. Mm-hmm. It has happened. Okay. Um, so why don't you and I go do that? I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll bring this thing to an end here, and uh, thank you to everybody who tuned in here. Appreciate you. Um, Checking out, subscribing here to our blunders.fm podcast. And to follow Robert Hess on Twitter, I'm going to put his Twitter in the show notes there. Go ahead, scroll down, click in the show notes, GM underscore Hess. Um, you know me and James. And uh, if you're looking for the best chess commentator on the planet, you found him right here in this show. You don't have to lie to the viewers. And, the listeners uh, and, and uh, you can follow him on Twitter. So. All right. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Robert, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for doing this, man. Of course. I, I know we're both exhausted, but I really appreciate it. All right. Peace out, everybody.